Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 38. And I have a fun one for you today. At least it's fun for me. Maybe you won't think it's fun, but I think it's a lot of fun. So let me give you a little background on what we're going to do. The, the title of this podcast is Never Judge a Book by Its Cover. And I want to do this podcast because um, of some very interesting, quote-unquote, reviews that have come my way because of nine presidents who screwed up America and four who tried to save her. So just give you a little background what's going on here. And I think it was May, America Online, AOL, ran a... Uh, an advertisement for my book, um, and it spiked sales. They went through the roof uh, because America Online, again, I didn't know this. I've mentioned this before. I didn't realize that so many people still listen to uh, or still had America Online for their Internet service. But uh, anyways, they ran an advertisement for it, spiked sales, went crazy, and then uh, we had uh, a, a, what happens after that. You know, People see the advertisement. It was that's really all it was was an advertisement. Uh, this book claims these nine presidents screwed up America, and that was pretty much it. And so what I got was a barrage of one star reviews on Amazon through the Kindle link, uh, which uh, that's what they had linked to in the in the advertisement to go through to Amazon through Kindle. So I knew right there. First of all, these people had never read the book, and I mean, and uh, they were because they were commenting on the Kindle link. And there were other clues as well that I'm going to get into. This is the fun part. So then uh, two days ago, AOL again ran the advertisement. And again, the sales of the book spike. I mean, this is great. This is great. People are buying the book. But again, a barrage of one-star reviews hit the uh, Amazon account. I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast. Maybe I mentioned it on a Facebook post or somewhere like that. But the, uh, the sales spike and again, a barrage of more one-star reviews. Now, uh, anyone who's read the book, and if you haven't read the book yet, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America and Ford Tried to Save Her, if you're just new to the podcast, you're not familiar with that book, uh, of course, um, there is a free class for it out there. Um, I think it's uh, freehistorycourse.com is what uh, Tom Woods is running for that. It's the 10, 10 Best and 10 Worst Presidents, and it's based on this book. So you can get that. Um, as a supplement to this particular book. So I'd highly recommend going out there and doing that. So if you haven't got the book yet, do it. Now, the book is, in many ways, I mean, people have said this, it's it's nonpartisan. I bash the Republicans and Democrats equally. The premise of the book is to examine which presidents have violated their oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution— and those are the worst presidents in American history. 
And the four that did the best were those that did not violate their oath as much. Now, I think you can make a case that virtually every president violates their oath in one way or another. And uh, one, there, there has been one one-star review that actually uh, tried to take apart my premise and how I analyze the Constitution uh, and saying, no, 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 I'm completely wrong, that uh, what I said about the Constitution is wrong because they picked out a, a quote or two or three that said, uh, no, 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 this is, this is what the founding generation said the Constitution would mean. So that's fine. I mean, people are going to disagree with an originalist interpretation. They're, they're going to do that all the time. Uh, and, okay, I mean, I, I, those reviews are fine. People, people are going to disagree. But it's the funny ones, the ones that I get one-star reviews, where people have obviously never read the book that really give me a, a good laugh. And so what I'm going to do in this podcast is read some of these to you. And then, and again, this is how I know when I see these reviews, how I know they've never read the book. Now, if you want to, all these reviews, when I get to the Amazon reviews, they're all on Amazon. Feel free to go out there and comment uh, on these reviews. If you want to go to the AOL piece, I'll link it. And you can have fun debating the commenters because some of these things are going to come from the comments on the AOL piece or the AOL advertisement. And again, think about this. The title of this particular podcast is Never Judge a Book by Its Cover. You mean you've been told that from the time you're in kindergarten. Don't judge a book by its cover because you don't really know what's in it. And you could open the co- book. The cover looks great. I'm going to get this. And then the book stinks. Now, in my case, the book doesn't stink, Okay, but uh, I'm just saying. But, you know, for some other books, judging the book by its cover is a bad idea. All right, so let me read some of these excellent reviews or comments. I'm going to start with the AOL comments and then get to the Amazon reviews. I'm only going to do three of the Amazon reviews, but I'm going to talk about some of the comments on the AOL piece. So let's start. Nick, this author is particularly wrong. The Bushes and Reagan also messed this country up along with the other politicians. Dr. John, the Bushes and Clintons aren't in the book, cover pictures, and they were the most dangerous of them all. At least he included the worst one in history, the Kenyan Obama. Michigan Lady. The worst ever King George is not on this list. This book is horse manure. Mom. I don't know Mom was going to comment on AOL, but Mom did. Soon as I didn't see G.W. Bush's picture on the book, I knew it must all be BS. Alamau. Whatever that is. I wouldn't pay 15 cents for that book. For one huge mistake, he didn't name the one president that is the major cause of this longest conflict the U.S. has ever been in. That is the one and only George W. Bush. Let's also not forget his mentor and chief designer of the invasion of Iraq and the rise of ISIS, Dick Cheney. Those two along with then-Secretary of Defense, are the reason we are still there. G.C. Wilson. 
Just the fact of him leaving both Bushes off the list just kill his credibility. Bonnie Lou. This guy is insane! And where's George W.? M. Love You Man. Hey, Mr. McClanahan, how many copies of this so-called book have you sold? Well, I'm glad you asked, M. You Love You Man, because it's been around, I don't know, 15,000 or so. And you got off the boat from Ireland in, what, 1980? And whoever sold you that historic information for your book screwed you. May want to rethink your job career. Thanks, M. Love You Man. I'm glad for the... Uh, so-called advice there. That's that's wonderful. Harold with a Malcolm X avatar. Really? Where is George Bush? This is only bogus propaganda written by Trump Trump-publican losers. All right, so those were the fun ones. There were 2,000 comments, but I picked out some of the fun ones there. Uh, okay, so again, I know all these people obviously haven't read the book. They're just reacting to the post. And I'll explain why. Now let's get down to the Amazon reviews because you would think they go onto Amazon, they leave a review, and you they're 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 trying to say they read the book. But again, let's let's get to this. So, Andrew, this is just Andrew. This is all he left. This is his name from Amazon. So here's Andrew's review, quote unquote, of my book. Oh, plus in the uh, in the previous ones where I got really loud. That's capitalization, and I read it just like they wrote it. All the grammatical errors included. So here we have. Uh, Andrew, Amazon review. I had high hopes when I picked up at my f- at my favorite used bookstore, but it turned out to be a politically motivated hat job that was written with a huge amount of unsupported bias rather than supporting information. The fact that he admitted G.W. Bush, who among other things took Clinton's budget surpluses, any turn them into a record deficit and a global Great Recession should be enough to make this point. But he also missed others that are widely considered to be among the few most damaging. Finally, the fact that he includes a sitting president whose legacy and long-term effects are yet to be determined, coupled with his commentary and efforts to fight the many negative comments, show a greater desire to make his political points than get to the facts. C. Derrick, a supposed professor. <clears throat> this is a ridiculous book, an obvious attempt from a right-wing character assassin to rewrite history. As a professor myself, I can say that his choices of great presidents to label as bad presidents is a promotional tool as cynical as they come. Lincoln, Teddy, FDR, LBJ, and Obama are the worst presidents? Please, before you buy this book, and I'd urge you not to check out those presidents standing among real historians. But the author, quote-unquote, does not include Warren Harding, Franklin Pierce, Andrew Johnson, or both Bushes? Presidents universally condemned as totally incompetent and even, in Bush's case, tragically destructive. This book should be shelved in wish- wishful neo-fascist lit and it's poorly written to boot. Don't waste your money on fake history in this crap book. Educated people will cringe while reading it. And then finally, from Amazon customer. 
the title. Where's George W. Bush's name? On any legitimate list of presidents who screwed up the U.S., certainly George W. Bush has to be on it. Well, you know, I'm glad all these people asked about George, uh, George W. Bush, particularly, and George H.W. Bush, for that fact, particularly the ones who reviewed the book who said they read it on Amazon. Because you know what? They're in the book. In fact, George H.W. Bush makes an appearance for several pages on page 163 to... 168. I spend five pages discussing how George H.W. Bush screwed up America by violating the Constitution. And then George W. Bush, I'm glad you asked uh, C. Derek and Andrew and all the others, because George H.W. Bush makes an appearance between pages 173 and 179. So I spend six pages on George H.W. Bush. Now, granted, they don't get their own chapter, and that they're included in the chapter on Barack Obama, but they're in the book. So when I see these reviews and they say, ah, the fact that, here's Andrews, the fact that he admitted George W. Bush, of course, he read this at his favorite, quote-unquote, used bookstore. So he's trying to slap the book right there. Among other things, took Clinton's budget surplus, he explains, you know, so he didn't read the book. Uh and then he tries, I had gone on to a couple of uh, comments, reviews, and uh, commented, well, he obviously didn't read it because, lo and behold, here's the section on George W. Bush that you say he is not in the book. I also had some moron on Twitter do this, too. He sent me a tweet uh, with the uh, picture of the book, and, ah, oh, yeah, you're just a hack job. There's no George W. Bush. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to look in the book. I mean, I know it's hard for these people to con- to have that concept of actually reading something because I'm not sure they can read, but uh, he's in the book. Uh, and, and, I, and I love the C. Derek, the professor, uh, who asks about both Bushes. Hey, C. Derek, the professor, they're in the book. Uh, and, of course, Derek has to throw in, and it's poorly written to boot. So, um, yeah, educated people were cringe reading his, reading his stupid review because, obviously, C. Derek didn't read the book. I actually had somebody in my Facebook page say, and in fact, another McClanahan, I don't, I don't know him, but said they left a comment on, uh, on, Am- oh, I'm sorry, on AOL saying that uh, since when is following the Constitution a right-wing position. Well, of course, it has become that because the progressives really don't care. And I've actually had people very openly say that. Well, I mean, of course, McClanahan's right. The presidents don't follow the Constitution. But you know what? We don't need to. That Constitution was written in 1787. It's outdated, outmoded. We don't need to follow the Constitution anymore. It can't It can't handle uh, labor problems and industrialization and all these other things. I mean, this is just so stupid. It's not even... <laughs> but, I mean, at least they're honest, Okay. So, Bush. Let me talk about George W. Bush. Let me talk about George H.W. Bush. And I'll spend a little time here because they've asked, you know, where's George W. Bush? Where's George H.W. Bush? So let me talk about what these two presidents did to screw up America because I think, I mean, obviously they want to know. So I, I go through some things. 
Uh, first, we'll start with George H.W. Bush. Uh, Bush, when he took office in 1989, was supposedly uh, going to follow in the footsteps of Ronald Reagan and continue the Reagan administration, or the administrations, I should say. And the first thing I talk about is the budget battle between Bush and the Congress uh, in 1990 and 1991. Uh, so Bush is attempting to balance the budget, or at least the goal of the Congress at that point was to balance the budget. And it didn't go well. Uh, Congress had passed a bill, a lot of people don't know this, but called the Graham-Rudman Act, in 1985 as a means to balance the budget within five years. So you often hear people, we're going to balance the budget in five years, we're going to balance the budget in 10 years. Well, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, there was an attempt to actually do it. Uh, and if nothing was cut, nothing could be worked out, then both domestic and defense spending would be slashed to meet a balanced budget in 1991 because they couldn't come to an agreement. Well, the Supreme Court complicated the issue there was a case of Bauscher v. Sinar in 1986 that said part of the bill was unconstitutional because it gave, uh, it lodged some of this activity in the uh, uh, government, I'm sorry, the General Accounting Office, which was part of the legislative branch. And the Supreme Court said, well, you can't do that because that's an executive task. Now, this is curious because I've read the Constitution several times. And I've never seen where um, deciding what is going to be spent is an executive task. But somehow the Supreme Court decided that uh, deciding you know, how much is going to be spent in the federal budget becomes an executive task. There was a dissent. Uh, Byron White said, wait a second here. Uh, spending is a legislative function, and therefore it should be lodged in the legislative branch, not the executive branch. But the, the rest of the Supreme Court disagreed. And they said, okay, this has to be uh, the um, Office of Management and Budget now has to decide what's going to be cut. And that's part of the executive branch. So the results weren't good. Uh, and eventually, the Congress forced George H.W. George Bush to agree to tax hikes and spending cuts. I mean, spending cuts are great. Tax hikes, the problem was Bush had pledged you know, no new taxes. Now, as I point out in the book, the president can't raise taxes or lower taxes. He can veto tax policy. But, I mean, this bill was perfectly constitutional in that the, uh, the Congress is deciding what gets cut and what's spent, theoretically. It was politically a disaster, though. The problem was also that the, uh, the Congressional Budget and Impoundment Control Act of 1974 created the baseline budgeting mess, which is spending goes up every year no matter what and there aren't really any cuts. You're just cutting the growth of spending. This is also the dirty little secret. Spending, federal spending, will go up every year. The only thing that's ever going to be cut is the growth of spending. This is why our budget keeps going up, up, up. It doesn't matter. So that was passed in 1974, another Richard Nixon gift that keeps on giving. Bush also signed a law, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which... Uh, was sold as a civil rights measure. Um, and, of course, you can make a moral argument for such uh, regulations. 
Uh, and the states, of course, can do this, but the law is blatantly unconstitutional according to the federal government. Uh, he also attempted firearms regulation, which was also blatantly unconstitutional. And then his most flagrant violation of the Constitution uh, was in foreign policy. Uh, he sent troops into Panama without any congressional authorization. Uh, he sent troops into Saudi Arabia in 1990 without any congressional authorization. And his full-scale invasion didn't even have uh, congressional support. In fact, on January 8, 1991, his full-scale invasion of Iraq, uh, he sent a letter to congressional leaders asking for support but not approval for military action in Kuwait. When he was asked about the issue the following day in a press conference, Bush responded, quote, I don't think I needed congressional authorization. I feel I have the authority to fully imp implement the United Nations resolutions. Bush then added that his attorneys, his attorneys believed that he had the constitutional authority to act without congressional approval. Now, Truman, Harry Truman, had established this precedent. He's saying that he needs to implement the laws of the United Nations, not the United States. This was the New World Order that Bush had talked about. And I say in the book, more than anything else, George H.W. Bush should be remembered as the president who succeeded in codifying the power of the executive branch to make war unilaterally. Uh, I do include Clinton in the book. Somebody asked about Clinton. Yeah, there's a Clinton too, 168 to, uh, to 173 is Bill Clinton. Uh, so I just did a, a talk about Hillary Clinton last podcast. So uh, Clinton was impeached. There was also a debate on there about you know Clinton not being. And this is how stupid people are. Clinton was never impeached. Yes, he was. He was impeached but not convicted. Some people don't understand what impeachment means. He was impeached but not convicted. Two presidents have been impeached: Andrew Johnson and William Jefferson Blythe the third, otherwise known as Bill Clinton. Now, what about George W. Bush? And so I, the, the subchapter here is, or subtitle is Taking the Imperial Presidency to a New Level. In fact, I make the case that for the last 28 years, by the time Obama leaves office, we've been suffering under in, basically an executive monarchy, or an elected monarchy, I should say. Uh, that, I mean, there's no, there's no veil about it anymore. The president does whatever the president wants to do, and the Congress doesn't stop them. Uh, and so when we get the next president, whether it's uh, Trump or Clinton, it's going to be the same thing. Uh, I think that, as I've said several times in this program, Trump is far preferable uh, because of his foreign policy. And also he's made statements where he might be more agreeable to a federalist, a real federalism position. Uh, but, I mean, Clinton is awful. She is, I mean, if not the most corrupt, the next most corrupt candidate ever nominated by a major party for president. She's, she's awful. But George W. Bush, I mean, I'm not going to defend George W. Bush. And in fact, I take him to task. I say Bush signed several high-profile unconstitutional bills into law. Much of the legislation can be traced to earlier federal initiatives, such as the New Deal and the Great Society. 
Additionally, Bush had never promised to undo nearly six decades of bad federal policy, but he should have been more reluctant to sign laws that reinforce the unconstitutional programs of the past. He signed the Medicare Act of 2003, a Republican-led initiative to reform medical benefits for the elderly. It amounted to an expansion of an unconstitutional entitlement program that added thousands of pages of regulations to a bloated federal register and put the stressed federal budget on the hook for more spending than it could have not, that it could not afford. He signed the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP, and the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008. These programs are nothing more than 21st century New Deal initiatives. The Housing and Economic Recovery Act allowed the unconstitutional Federal Housing Administration to unconstitutionally take over two already unconstitutional government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That was an unconstitutional mess. Both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had been accused of corruption, and yet the takeover by the Treasury Department resulted in large executive bonuses and government assumption of billions of dollars worth of risky debt, all at the expense of the American taxpayer. Bush signed legislation increasing funding for the unconstitutional National Health Science Foundation excuse me, and National Institute of Health and enlarged federal control of American education. But Bush's greatest contribution to unconstitutional government, however, was his extensive use of executive signing statements. Now, Bush did not, as critics have often charged, invent the signing statement. The practice went back to the James Monroe administration, but before 1981, all the presidents had issued only a total of 101 signing statements up to George W. Bush. Ronald Reagan increased the practice and argued that such a move could result in an effective line-item veto of legislation. He was right, but this was not the constitutional way to achieve that type of veto power. Congress had unconstitutionally given Bill Clinton the line-item veto in 1996, he used it 82 times before the Supreme Court correctly declared it unconstitutional. But signing statements had never been challenged. By the time Bush took office in 2001, presidents had issued around 600 signing statements, with Reagan issuing the most in history to that point. Yet Bush put even him to shame. The 43rd president issued nearly 1,200 signing statements in his eight years in office. Now, many of these statements were intended to expand executive powers by carving out exclusive jurisdiction for the president. In some cases, Bush may have, in fact, had legitimate constitutional reservations about the bills that inspired his signing statements, but he should have used the veto rather than unconstitutional means to object to their unconstitutionality. I say a case can certainly be made that the line-item veto would be an effective check against legislative incompetence and malfeasance. But you don't have that power, so you shouldn't use it. And then I get into his foreign policy. However flagrant Bush's abuse of signing statements may have been, his, he is better known for his foreign policy initiatives during the war on terror. The Democrats quickly pounced on every faulty move Bush made during his eight years in office, while the Republicans typically sat on their hands. Their man was in power. This dynamic is precisely why George Washington cautioned against political parties. Partisanship quickly led Republicans to dismiss Democrat claims of, of abuse of power, but did the Democrats have a point? Absolutely, at least according to the Constitution as ratified. The Congress overwhelmingly supported Bush's plan for the invasion of Afghanistan in 2002. 
While he did not receive a constitutional declaration of war, Bush nevertheless had a use of force authorization from the Congress to find and kill or capture the parties responsible for the September 11, 2001 attacks. But this is where Bush's limited adherence to the Constitution ended. He signed the Patriot Act. Uh, when the Congress attempted to revoke various illegal provisions of the law in 2005 and 6, Bush issued signing statements that basically vetoed certain portions of the laws, of those laws, attempt to repeal. Bush refused to, re to enforce the legislation, explaining that the provisions in question, having to do with harsh interrogation techniques and congressional oversight, among other things, challenged the authority of the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief clause of the Constitution, however, does not give the president the authority to ignore legislation, particularly once it is signed into law by the president himself, and the executive branch is never shielded from congressional oversight. Bush would periodically dust off Nixon's claim of executive privilege when threatened with congressional inquiries into the conduct of the administration. And, of course, the commander-in-chief laws does not give the president unlimited war-making powers. And I take him to task for his invasion of Iraq in 2003. Again, even though this was another clear case of war against a sovereign state, Bush did not have a formal declaration of war, just a basic authorization of force resolution. Like his father before him, Bush did not believe he needed congressional approval to begin hostilities in Iraq because the 1973 War Powers Resolution allowed unilateral action. Unfortunately, after Hussein's ouster, the conflict turned into a costly war of attrition with American soldiers bogged down in Iraq as an occupation force charged with peacekeeping. So this was the problem with the Bush administration. So I take both Bushes to task. So again, the cover of the book has Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Harry Truman, FDR, Woodrow Wilson, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, and Barack Obama. And so people look at the cover and say, well, the Bushes aren't there. Book's terrible. The book is horse manure, as one person said. But the Bushes are in the book. So is Bill Clinton. So in fact, there are actually 13 presidents in the book, not just nine. I also talk about George Washington, uh, and that one also ruffled a lot of feathers. But um, it's interesting how the knee-jerk reaction will come from those on the left in particular, sometimes on the right too. You know, what about, what about uh, Bill Clinton? Well, he's in the book too. Uh, you know, so never judge a book by its cover. Always pick it up, at least pick it up and leaf through it to see who's in it before you start firing off at the mouth, shooting off at the mouth on the Internet and making yourself look stupid. Now, I know it's not hard for these people to look stupid, but essentially that's what they're doing. So, thank you for everyone who's responded to those posts. I mean, that's nice. If you want to go out and comment on these Amazon reviews, please feel free. It's, it's often fun to uh, knife these people and twist it a little bit by showing that they really didn't do any reading as they claim to make, uh, you know, as they claim to have read the book. Uh, it's always fun. It cre creates a tremendous amount of uh, discussion and debate, and that's fun. So, um, please feel free to do that if you want to. If you haven't picked up a copy... Uh, I'd love it if you would. Uh, it is an attempt to correct 
our view of what the executive branch should and should not do. Uh, and it's, uh, it's something that I think is important moving forward as we get into a presidential election cycle. So that's it for the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time.